So Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to begin to read at verse 6. This is God's Word to us, and therefore we know we can trust it completely. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the green tree at Morah at Shechem. And at that time the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. And when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman, And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. And so Pharaoh Pharaoh summoned Abram, What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram went up from Egypt to Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And from the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Amen. And we thank God for His Word. Well, if you have a Bible, let's turn together to uh, Genesis 12, those verses that we read earlier. I don't know if you've ever looked back over the photograph albums and uh, come across a a period in your earlier life and thought, oh, goodness, remember that. That was a really difficult time. And we're looking at one of those really difficult times in the photograph album of Abraham at the moment. Abram, as he was then, uh, Sarai, his wife, later to become uh, Sarah. It's not always easy to follow Jesus. We, we know that sometimes the difficulties come from our circumstances, and sometimes they come, in a sense, from ourselves because of the decisions that we make, bad decisions. Sometimes they, they're a mix of both. And, and for Abraham, Uh, the difficulties he faces in this chapter are a mix of both. Let's remind ourselves of what we've seen. Abraham is called by God, in a sense, 
out of nowhere. It's not that God is looking around for a, a good specimen of humanity. He just comes and calls him from a pagan background, moon-worshipping Ur is where he lives. And, and God appears to him in such a way that he has no doubt that he's being called. And he co- is called to, to leave his, his country and his people and his father's household and to go to the land that God will show him. And while he is in this promised land, Cana, uh, the Canaanites are there. But, but Abraham sets up altars to the Lord and he worships. He calls on the name of the Lord, which means he's a worshiper. So here he is, a uh, He's God's man worshiping God in a world that does not know God. And the picture we get in these first verses of chapter 12 is, is one of remarkable faith because Abraham journeys holding, as, as Calvin says, he journeys holding onto the bare word of God. We come to, to chapter, uh, to, to verse 10, and then we read these sort of slightly ominous words. Now there was a famine in the land. In some ways, there's not anything remarkable about that. The part of the world is hit by famine from time to time, and, and someone who, uh, like Abraham, lived close to the land would have felt it. But from Abraham's point of view, it may well have come as a bit of a surprise. Had he not, after all, just traveled 800 miles in obedience to God? Had he not just traveled through the land of Cana, establishing altars to God, and calling on his name. He, he was sort of planting churches almost. That, that, that's almost the, the picture we get, a sort of a, a little worshiping community in the midst of this uh, land that does not know him. Uh, he'd been doing that faithfully. Uh, how, how is it then that, that his life, he finds, is not going smoothly? Now, he's, he's, he's finding out more about this God day by day. Maybe he thinks, well, you know, maybe God only deals with a big thing like future offspring, but he doesn't really care about where I get my food from. Well, Abraham actually is the, <clears throat> the father of the faith and is experiencing what we all experience if, we, if we're following Jesus, and that is that knowing the Lord as our Savior does not insulate us from the trials and difficulties of our lives. There's a famine in the land, and so Abraham is not somehow miraculously protected from that. He feels the pressures that it brings. Now, now we need to take note of that because although we have heard that many times, we've probably said it to others, sometimes there's, there's sort of two theologies in our head, isn't there? There's, there's the one that's in our head, and then there's the one that, that sort of is in here that, 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 that is our functional operating theology. And sometimes that's not quite so orthodox. And sometimes that says to us that the indication of God's hand upon us is a smooth life. And so whenever things come into our lives that are difficult, we go, oh, what's, what's God doing here? I used to sing an old hymn in a church in Aberdeen, and it had this great line. I can't remember what the hymn was, but it had the line, Shall I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? Somebody can tell me what hymn that comes from. It's not a Getty one, I'm pretty sure. Um, but the thing is, our, our hearts cry out for that. We want, to be, we want to get to heaven on a flowery bed. And whenever we don't experience that, sometimes we think, <clears throat> Has God's ad- attitude changed to me? Is he not watching over me the way that he said he would? And, and how we respond to that is tremendously important. 
And Abraham, we, we don't find that Abraham questions God here. We don't find him getting angry with God. But he does something that sometimes maybe we do. He, he just forgets about God. And he, he just relies on himself. One writer says he abandons faith for logic. And logic takes him to Egypt. In some ways, it is a logical thing to do. Egypt, of course, watered by the Nile, and so a fertile area, and uh, insulated from uh, uh, drought and so on. And in the Bible, sometimes it's a good thing to go to Egypt. Sometimes, for example, uh, Mary and Joseph are told to go to Egypt with the infant Jesus to escape Herod's attempts to murder him. And so sometimes it's a place of refuge, but on most occasions... It's actually a place that God's people really ought not to go. So, for example, in Isaiah 31, it says this, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitudes of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. You see, Egypt is about working it out for yourself and not trusting in the Lord. And it looks like that's what Abraham's doing. It doesn't say that in the text, but at least alarm bells should be ringing in our heads as we see Abraham heading down to Egypt. It doesn't seem to be a step of faith. He's just doing what seems to be right. And you notice he's not calling on the name of the Lord. He's sort of going his own way. Well, what happens whenever we do that? What happens when Abraham does that? Well, we see a number of things. First of all, his troubles multiply. His troubles multiply. Sometimes we, we do that, don't we? We take a little decision and we think, well, this will sort it out, and it just opens up a whole world of pain. So Abraham heads south into Egypt, and, and uh, he has a bit of a problem because he knows that the rules of hospitality in Egypt are maybe slightly different, and he is concerned about what's going to happen with he and his wife Sarai. Sarah. And it is that she's a very beautiful woman, <clears throat> and he's worried that somebody's going to kill him and grab her. Now, Sarah is about 65 at this point. And some of you go, so? <laughs> and some of you are going, hi? <laughs> so maybe she's just a regular at the Clarence desk at her, at her local... Uh, slap shop or whatever it's called, and, and, and uh, she's, she's just got a great skincare regime. Maybe it is that the, the patriarchs are, 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 are just blessed with long lives, and so perhaps there's a, 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 just a difference in the aging process. Maybe there's just a whole different standard of beauty. We've come to, to equate beauty with youth. It wasn't always that way, actually, in other cultures. And so Abraham figures out that he's at risk, and so he tells a lie. He tells her to tell a lie. It's only half a lie because she's actually his half-sister, but it's a, it's a deception. We see this in verse 11. As he's about to enter Egypt, he says to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now, he might have had some, we don't really know what his thinking was here. He might have had some thought that if he was 
portrayed as her brother, then he could sort of negotiate his way out of trouble and, and they could get out of the land and so on. We don't really know, but, but, but he's certainly concerned about himself. You see that? So that I will be treated well for your sake. And what he hadn't figured on, of course, was Pharaoh, because you couldn't negotiate with Pharaoh. And simply, Pharaoh sent for her and added her to his harem. When Abraham came to Egypt, verse 14, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. Do you notice, by the way, Abraham calls her a beautiful woman, and the Egyptians call her a very beautiful woman? Man, we need to think about that. What was better to, that we're saying very beautiful and the, the world is saying beautiful, okay? It's just, that one's for free. Um, so, so, She's taken into Pharaoh's household. Now, the, the, the Bible scholars are a little divided as to whether this means that Pharaoh slept with her. There may have been a time of preparation before that happened. And if that hadn't already happened, it looks as if it probably had, but if it hadn't already happened, it was close. This was a, a tremendously difficult situation, not only for Abraham, but for the whole project. Remember what's happening here. God has promised that through Abraham and his wife, Sarah, his line would develop. A people would be built. And now the woman through which that's going to happen is in Pharaoh's harem, in a foreign land. So Abraham has forgotten God, you see, and his troubles multiply. Don't we see this in ourselves? Maybe we we see times in our lives whenever we've been under pressure, we've forgotten God in the sense that we've just lived as if he's not there. We've relied on our own wisdom and, and just stuff goes chaotically wrong. You know those words from Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. His troubles multiplied. Second thing we see here is that his, his witness was ruined. You remember last week we, we saw the promise that Abraham received from God. It's, it's up in verse 2 there of this chapter. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, now supremely, that, that promise, is, as we're going to see, is fulfilled in Christ. But, but, but Abraham is to be a channel of blessing, he and his seed, for the world. Here he is. He's this worshiper of God in a world that does not know God. And we actually see little hints of it already. You notice that by the time he has come into the land, there's a whole crowd of, of people with him. And it looks as if perhaps those are people who have, have sort of thrown their lot in with Abraham because he's been a blessing. So he's sort of building the church, as it were, as he's going along. But now, you see, he, he's... he's He's gone off there. He's, he's sort of backslidden, as it were. And, and he doesn't bring blessing, but he actually brings judgment. You see, verse 17, the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. 
So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Maybe it is that Pharaoh's household is afflicted by some sort of diseases in ways that foreshadow what happened with the plagues later on, of course, in Egypt with Moses. And maybe it is that Sarah is unaffected by these things, and so they start to ask questions, and they find out the truth. And Pharaoh sends for Abraham and condemns him. Here he is. He's a pagan king. Abraham is God's man. And Pharaoh is much more upright than Abraham. Now, now Abraham, you see, is the one through whom others are to be blessed. And what can he say to Pharaoh? He hasn't been a blessing to Pharaoh. He's been a curse. There's, there's no point in them saying, well, before I go, Pharaoh, can I have a minute or two of your time? I want to tell you about this amazing God that I serve. No, his witness is ruined. Do you see that when we go our own way, when we mess up, when we, when we choose to trust in ourselves and not in the Lord, we so quickly find ourselves in a place where our words become empty and hollow, don't they? We've nothing to say, a damaged witness. Third thing is a, is a future weakness. Now, in some ways, you could look at this story and think that, well, actually, there are bits of it that go quite well for Abram because he blesses Pharaoh as he's getting rid of Abram, in a sense, gives him many things. He treated Abram well for her sake, verse 16, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants and camels, and, and these things Abram takes with him out of the land. Some people see this as, as a foreshadowing of, of, again, the Exodus and, and God's people, you remember, plundering the Egyptians as they go with the Exodus. It may be that, but, but here's another suggestion that I think is maybe to be thought about at least, and that is that, that some of the things that Abram takes with him, that he gets in Egypt, become future headaches for him. All his stuff. You notice that, 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 that as you read on in the story, he has so much stuff that the land can't quite support he and Lot, and Lot and he end up separating, and Lot gets entwined in Sodom and Gomorrah. Had he too much stuff? We can have too much stuff, don't we know that? And you notice, too, that it mentions in verse 16, men servants and maidservants, and when we read on, we discover that Abraham makes a tremendous mistake in his life, as it were, as he conceives a child by one of his maidservants, Hagar, in an attempt to hurry along the promises of God. Was one of these maidservants Hagar? In other words, there are future difficulties in Abraham's life that can be traced back to what we might say are his ill-gotten gains here. So all this is to say, as, as we run from the Lord, if we, if we wander from the Lord, we ought not to expect blessing. 
So Abraham comes out of, of Egypt with his tail between his legs, his testimony ruined. His wife must think all sorts of things about him. He's sowing the seeds, perhaps, of some future problems. But here's the thing, he's not finished. And in this, he gets it right, doesn't he? Because he, come back, he comes back to the land, and as we read into chapter 13, he begins to do what he did again. He did in the past again. He, he goes back to Bethel, and Bethel's where he'd built an altar. And it says, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Friends, we are going to mess up as we follow Jesus. Every last one of us. We trust that our wanderings will be short. But even if they're long, that the way that they end is that we come back to do the things that we did at first. That we go back to calling on the name of the Lord. It's the answer for our wanderings, to find the old paths, isn't it? Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Future jeopardized. Last thing, just to think about for a moment as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, the man of blessing. What do we call this on the screen? The blessing longed for, the blessing longed for. Abraham was, was set up as, as God's man, remember, he was the one through whom blessing was to come. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Was he a blessing? Well, well, sometimes in a limited way he was, but sometimes as here, he's not. And it points us to the fact that while Abraham was a blessing at times in a small way, it was really through his line that blessing would come. It was through the greater Abraham. Because there would be one who would come who, as we said, made this same journey that Abraham made south into Egypt. Not as an adult, but as a child. Not as a result of foolishness or self-reliance, but in obedience to a command. And that one who came out of Egypt then, he would really be the blessing. God would say of him, out of Egypt I have called my son. And he, Jesus, really was God's man. And unlike Abraham did <clears throat> with Sarah, he would not put himself first to save his skin. Quite the reverse. He would lay down his life. This table reminds us of that. It, it says to us, not, I am in danger and you must be sacrificed, as Abraham did. But you are in danger and I will be sacrificed. I'll put myself in harm's way so that you may be set free. We heard in the little video for the kids, that our Queen said in her Christmas message, 2011, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. 
God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a Savior with the power to forgive. Have you found this Savior? Are you walking with this Savior? Are you trusting this Savior? As we come around this table again today, call out to him afresh. Recommit yourself to him. For he truly is the man of blessing who laid down his life that you would go free.